You are back with The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Today in the first part of our show, we'll hear from Sharon Hurd, Marketing Program Manager and Development Specialist with the Hawaii Department of Agriculture. And joining us on the phone, Paul Rapoon, an organic taro farmer in Waihole, Windward, Oahu, and Melanie Bondera, a farmer from Honaunau on the Big Island who grows coffee, cacao, avocados, and other fruits and vegetables as well as flowers. Good morning. Good morning. So I have to ask, I don't know, Melanie, let's start with you. Uh, How are you faring with the weather that we're having? Well, we were definitely braced for some heavy rains this week, but in South Kona, we've just gotten a little bit of rain and clouds, so we're okay. Okay, so you're all right. What about you, Paul? I know there's flooded conditions there in the valley. Yeah, it's not all that unusual in Waiahole to have, you know, big floods, and um, we haven't had one in a long time, and actually some ways it's a good thing because it, it scours out the riverbed and makes it much more open and able to handle the flooding. Um, there is some major damage to, uh, I, I know one of my friend's farms, the river changed course and went right through his farm. And um, there's some major issues with keeping the riverbed clean, cutting back the hau tree and keeping albizias from growing on the banks and things. And there's, So there's a lot of things that could be improved in this valley as far as that goes. But we're used to flooding. And your farm managed okay overnight? Yeah, we have three Hawaii on our farm, and and we um, all those dams have been broken. Those dams are made out of rocks and in, intended to be temporary dams that will break away when the flood comes. Because if it doesn't break away, then the water will back up behind the dam and come on top of the land, and so it's supposed to break away. So restoring that up, restoring those rocks, it's, it's a lot of work, but we have a lot of friends who like to do that kind of work too. The Laulima thing. And then uh, what about your water system? The valley water system is a, a very vulnerable system. It um, pumps from groundwater up to a tank and then runs down to a big reservoir and then goes down to the whole valley and then is, is boosted again up to one side of the valley. And it goes out like a dozen times a year. And our farm, being the only farm that gets water above the reservoir, we're, we're without water frequently. So... At least a dozen times this year, we've been without water, and usually for multiple days. Um, so on our farm, we have a certified kitchen with three poi businesses using it. Three different farmers use it for poi making. And um, making poi without a lot of water is really hard. We've got to bring in coolers and you know, have alternative systems. So and did that suffer any damage, that water that, system? That, that system, the, um, the valley water system, apparently a bunch of boulders went through the pump house, and a tree fell on it, and pipes Ooh. broke, and... They're trying to get it fixed because if they don't get it fixed fairly soon, the whole valley could be without water. Okay, all right. But uh, just a reminder of the challenges of farming here in the islands with this uh, spate of uh, bad weather that we're having. But, you know, before we launch into our segment, I do want to remind our listeners that in the second half of the show, we're going to be looking at the Agribusiness Development Corporation, which is supposed to help us uh, develop agriculture with the depart- uh, departure of the plantation crops. We'll be joined by Representative Amy Peruso. We'll hear from Koi Council uh, member Mason Chalk. And we'll hear the response from Jimmy Nakatani about the criticism of the Agribusiness Development Corporation. 
Now, you know, we decided to uh, devote part of our time today to reach backyard gardeners and small-scale farmers who sometimes don't qualify for federal grants when it comes to ag. The Farm Bill provided new grant money for Hawaii, Alaska, and U.S. territories to reach that group in order for us to strengthen our resiliency and grow more of the food that we eat. Need we remind you that 80% of what we get comes from abroad. I did talk with Sharon Hurd, marketing program manager, yesterday afternoon about the rollout of this very different federal grant. This is the first grant I've ever been involved with uh, in 10 years. That is, the eligibility is individuals, not businesses, not farmers, individuals. If you're going to apply, you're going to apply as you know yourself. In my case, it would be Sharon Hurd. And it uh, only applies to three organizations, religious organizations, food banks and food pantries, and if you look at the FAQs, they are defined within the frequently asked questions. Public schools are uh, eligible. I should say federally funded institutions like public schools, Head Start programs, institutions of higher learning, that type of institution is uh, eligible. This grant, though, is new for Alaska, Hawaii, and the territories. We had so many questions that we all decided to for this first launch, kind of do it together, you know, so that one entity, one state or territory is not doing it in a way that you might say favors their population. So because it was kind of complicated, although it's a three-year grant and you can apply for as an individual up to $5,000 each year for three years, although you can do that, we decided as a rollout, let's offer it for a one-year period, $5,000 maximum for a one-year project, or if you prorate it, if your project is six months, your maximum award is $2,500. And the reason we did that is to maximize the number of people, the number of individuals that can be helped with this. If you have a, a garden that is being you know, terrorized by pigs and, and deer, and other critters, you can actually build a fence. This is the first grant I've ever come across that allows you to build a fence because it's considered a capital expenditure, you know, a home improvement type thing. But this one does. Um, It is a very generous grant. However, because grants are funded by the federal government, who is funded by taxpayers, we cannot just indiscriminately award uh, funding as federal grants require that you be compliant. What that means is you have to pretty much show that you pay your taxes, that you're a good individual, and that you are worthy, you might say. Worthy is not a good word, but you are eligible to receive taxpayer money because you're a good taxpayer. So you're targeting like uh, just basically the backyard gardener or small-scale farmers? Yeah, absolutely. And when you say backyard gardener, it's also in the verbiage of the grant, it says small-scale livestock. So if you live in an area that allows you to have uh, chickens, you can, with the funding, you can build a chicken coop, you can buy some chickens, and apparently if you have two chickens, that's two eggs a day. So that's the kind of uh, project that they're trying to fund so that people have food. In areas, let's say in Maui, where they are under siege by the deer, so this might allow those small growers a chance to kind of protect their crops from the deer. Correct. Backyard, individual, homeowners, yes. 
are nonprofits eligible? No. The only nonprofits that are eligible are religious organizations, food pantries, and food banks. Because it's a one-year grant, maximum 12 months, the only requirement is a final report contingent on approval of final report and final financial report is contingent on your final payment. So we have agreed to a combination of advance and reimbursement. So we know that if you have a fence you want to put up for $4,000, that sometimes it's hard to come up with that in advance. So we haven't decided yet how we're going to, it's proposal dependent. But let's say I put in a request for $5,000 to $4,000 of which is going to fund a fence. If you show me the quote, if if I show you the quote and I say, here's a quote for a $4,000 fence, I'm PO ready to go, we might consider that um, an advance for $4,000 to you so you can do that. You can build your fence. And if you buy $1,000 worth of seeds and trees, that payment will be based on a reimbursement upon submission of a final report. Okay. And then you have a webinar, so if folks want to find out more, they can, what, go online, uh, look to see what the program's all about? I really encourage people to read the RFP first and look at the frequently asked questions. I want to say that the focus now, this, this grant is wonderful to grow food, but we're trying to focus on nutrition. So if you're going to grow food, try to grow nutritious food, you know, fruits and vegetables and proteins, whether it be plant-based or animal proteins, nutritious food. That was Sharon Hurd of the Department of Agriculture, and I wish she could have joined us uh, to be able to take questions, more questions uh, from our audience, but uh, she was not uh, able to uh, uh, get out of a, a particular, a very important meeting. So I uh, do want to drive people to you know that website. Uh, again, the webinar is going to be next week, and, and uh, they encourage people to kind of go through the FAQs, frequently asked questions to get a better handle as to whether they might be eligible. And uh, I don't know, uh, uh, Melanie, Paul, what, what do you think? Do you think about a shot at this if you go individually? Sure. I, I think this grant is really great for small-scale farmers um, doing small expansions. You could buy a small piece of equipment, and I'm talking on the level of a dehydrator or an oil press or a juicer, something that you could take one of your raw products to a really basic value added for the farmer's market um, or whatever your your roadside stand or if you found last year that uh, your neighbors and community really liked a particular thing you were bringing to the market but you only have a tiny bit of it, you're growing it for your family, maybe you can expand that into a larger area with some more seeds, seedlings, or soil work. Um, and, and I think markets have shifted a lot in the last year, too. Um, so sometimes if you used to sell to a restaurant and now you're selling in a different way, maybe with one of the online boxes, maybe you need uh, access to a certified kitchen for a couple hours a week, or maybe you need to buy some boxes or some sort of way to change the product you have um, to make it easier to sell in our local communities. So have you applied for, for grants? I don't know what your experience is. And, you know, I mean, you, you sell primarily at what farmer's markets, right? I have applied for grants for my farm. And I when I used to work for the Kohala Center as a co-op developer and as an ag business um, uh, helper, I would help apply for other 
farmers, and most grants are too big and too difficult for the size farm we have in Hawaii. So this one is really exciting because it's small and the requirements are pretty minimal, pretty accessible. So I imagine, though, then the reach is, is, it could be very good. Yes. And then what about you, Paul? Uh, what's been your experience in applying for grants? Uh, we've gotten some couple grants in the past to, to build a greenhouse and do some clearing of land, but I think this is um, it's a great idea, and I particularly like the mention of, of gardening because um, I, I believe that the future of farming is not in, in full-time farmers. I think it's in part-time farmers, including gardeners. And I think we can grow a lot of our food that wouldn't even show up on the economic radar. It wouldn't show up as income or expenses or anything. It just would be people growing food and trading food with each other, doing that kind of thing. I, I think it would be nice to have some kind of um, um, source of help for people who want to get started because I think a lot of people are not going to have any idea what it is they could spend this money on in the most efficient way. And we have, I think, I think there's a, only two extension agents on this whole island, and that's kind of crazy. And there's um, a master gardener's uh, line that you can call that you can talk to somebody about specific plants and things, but I think having people out there who could um, not only help you with advice on how to grow things and what, you, what it is you can do to get started, but to connect you to other people in your area that you could, so you could hooey together and maybe share some equipment and definitely share knowledge. There's a lot of old folks out there who have a lot of growing stuff, uh, information, and they're you know, underutilized. I think we could do a lot more of that. We have, I think, something like 10 community gardens on Oahu. And I, as, as I understand it, there's a huge waiting list to get on there. That the interest is huge. So having a community gardens expanding that whole system onto state and county lands would be very helpful because a lot of people, all they've got is a little bit in their backyard. And if that's all you got, use it. Okay. But, but making land... More land available to more people would be something that would be really exciting to me. I know you folks are on your farms. We, we are hearing some background noise, just the, the working farm, I guess. Um, but, you know, I think you, you probably bring up a very good point. I mean, we saw what happened with the pandemic, the run on seeds and uh, garden soil, that kind of thing, because people were concerned about their uh, about the food distribution systems. And, uh, uh, you know, there's concern that we aren't, uh, efficient and resilient enough, uh, you know, as we should be. Uh, so, yeah, th- this grant is then, uh, you know, kind of a, uh, it really is, as uh, Sharon said, a gift. And uh, folks that are interested should definitely uh, uh, probably, you know, jump onto that webinar next week uh, to find out more. You know, just taking tarot as an example, the demand for tarot, we can't even grow enough to meet the demand. Isn't that right, Paul? Yeah, that's right. We also import taro, which is, you know, doesn't make sense. It's also very risky because you risk bringing in diseases, and the list of taro diseases is several pages long, so it would be better not to import any taro. We could easily grow all we need, but we do import taro. Yeah, and at the beginning of the legislative session, I know there was an effort uh, by a number of Native Hawaiian groups to give away uh, taro plants and tools to try, try and encourage more people to grow taro in their backyard. Yeah, it, 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 I think everybody should do that. You can learn a lot just by sticking a hoolie in the ground and watching it. 
and uh, and don't I, I don't like it when people say, oh, I don't have a green thumb, I can't do this. Everybody should try. If you don't have a green thumb, you know, figure it out. Figure out what you can do about that. You know, just try, practice. And Rotate, Melanie, but, well, yeah. what can you uh, uh, share out there with our listeners? I mean, you have helped other farmers to kind of get a leg up. So, so how would you encourage uh, the folks out there that are interested in growing something? I just think it's really interesting. Last year, you know, growing food and selling food for 20 years in Hawaii and with the pandemic and tourism shut down all of a sudden um, we actually while we were all very scared both with the pandemic and the impending recession we had this huge spike in local food purchases and I was actually selling more food just like trying to find everything edible on my farm during that first quarter of the pandemic last year and I was heartened that so many people wanted to eat local food and we started to plant more. And this was true of many other small farmers around the state, certainly in my community. Um, and as we started to expand the food we were growing for our local communities to eat, which is really different than growing coffee or jams or you know sugar, etc., for tourists, what we've always wanted to spend all our time doing is growing food for our community and our, our community was buying it and uh, so we started expanding what we were growing but then people went back to their old ways and it sort of frittered off over the last of the uh, half of the year and people went back to grocery stores and um, their usual buying habits and I think think people need to to consider that if they want a local food system, you know, if they want small-scale backyard gardeners, small farmers growing for each other, um, takes a year to get a vegetable out of the ground, taro out of the ground. It takes five to ten years to get an orchard growing and a generation to reconnect our food system. So if everyone could just go ahead and commit 20% of their food budget, whether it's EBT SNAP or whatever, to buying local if it's at the farmer's market or roadside stand or online or even inside your grocery store, that will fund farmers to expand. And this grant is fabulous because it gives farmers who and backyard gardeners a chance to jump from where they were expanding last year and go bigger. But we really need uh, Hawaii eaters to go ahead and, and really commit to buying the results. Right, make that conscious effort to buy local now more than ever just because we want to support those local farmers. Exactly. And then Sharon did talk about this emphasis on nutrition. She said the new Undersecretary of Agriculture uh, at a meeting with all the directors of the Department of Agriculture across the country emphasized nutrition, that so many of our our citizens are obese, unhealthy. We've got major diseases, chronic diseases that we're battling. And the idea that you buy the most nutritious, the freshest uh, food available, you know, means buying from the backyard. Absolutely. And I think one thing we saw last year, too, is a lot more people cooked from Whole Foods mm -hmm. and fed their families that way. And that wasn't great for our restaurant businesses. We want our restaurants to do well, too. But um, getting 
those whole foods, those locally grown vegetables and fruits that haven't traveled thousands of miles to Hawaii are always going to have more nutrition in them. And growing those as opposed to just our specialty crops, coffee, um, you know, mac nuts, sugar cane, et cetera, and, and growing them for the kind of food you put on your, your family's table every day. I think it's really important from the grower's perspective and from the consumer's to choose those. And, Paul, what was your experience during the pandemic? You know, because we saw a lot of our uh, food distribution systems kind of go awry because we didn't have the outlets at restaurants and and hotels. Uh, How did Taro do? Um, What pandemic? Huh? What what pandemic? Uh, Everybody eats poi. You know, the people who eat poi are still going to eat poi, and it didn't really change anything that goes like like melanie said you know farmers still had to grow food and in fact there was more interest in local food people realized a little bit of our vulnerability i like like her i'm worried that you know people just are going to go back to their old habits you know it wasn't a big enough scare food wise i mean there's there are so many ways we are vulnerable to um our food supply being cut off um pandemic is just one of them we could have Several things all happen at once, and it would be very serious. So, yeah, it didn't affect us too much. Now, we did see also the uh, farm-to-car program started, you know, and a lot of the, the farmers did divert some of their uh, food to food banks uh, so that the people who, you know, needed to eat um, could have nutritious food. Yeah, we did some of that, too. So your taro was part of that basket? Yeah, but, you know, there were grants to actually pay for it. So it's like income-wise, it didn't affect us. Okay, so you were good. What about you, Melanie? We sold a lot of avocados into uh, uh, one of the boxes uh, going to folks who were struggling with food insecurity. And our farmer's market was one of the first to – we went online with a curbside pickup within 10 days of being shut down in the beginning, and that was really – a good market, both for consumers that had never come to our farmer's market before, uh, those who were very concerned about going to a grocery store and couldn't even, maybe they were older, had underlying health conditions, couldn't go at all. Um, but it was very efficient, good for our farmers. Um, but it, we're actually shutting that down at the end of this month because people have gone back to you know, buying imported food from grocery stores. <laughs> So um, new models came up like that for sales of our local food um, that it would be nice, like Paul said, to keep going into the future, to take this, this small moment of fear and, and think about how we can create a really ongoing, healthy, nutritious food system um, with small and medium-sized growers around the island. So seize the day. And, Paul, you mentioned you'd like to see what either more extension agents or uh, more folks, uh, resource folks, that uh, just the average backyard grower, gardener uh, can access. Yeah. I, yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, this, this pandemic scared everybody a little bit about their supply of food. But there are many, many more reasons, even more important, about why it is we should be growing our own food. It has to do with climate change and nutrition. Um, you know, just a, a lot of things in our society need to be 
more aware of. Um, climate change is a really big one. And when we talk about more nutritious food, we're generally talking about food that is organic. And if you grow organic food organically, that means you're sequestering carbon in your soil through the building up your organic matter. And that is a huge, um, important way to, to uh, alleviate some of the carbon you know, increases in the atmosphere is to grow food organically. So I think that's something that people are not enough aware of. Okay, and what like what, with what we've just seen with the 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 rain bombs <laughs> over this past mm-hmm. week, uh, uh, lots of uh, reason to pause uh, and think about what we're doing uh, and how it's impacting uh, the the landscape here uh, on our planet. <laughs> well, we I are. I think this was like a fifty year flood, but we've been having these every few years. Yeah, no, not oh. that unusual. So this is something really has changed in our farming experience, and the and the rainfall patterns have changed too. A lot of things have changed that way, and that's all due to climate change, I'm pretty sure. And any final thoughts, Melody? I know you've got to go. Uh, You can't join us uh, for the second half, but uh, any final thoughts about this loan program and just anything in general? I just think this is a wonderful opportunity for uh, small-scale growers to expand and uh, new people to get into it. I want to say some of the best ways that we've grown our farms on the big island is when uh, you have SNAP in farmer's market, you have EBT in farmer's markets, and then 75% of USDA funding is actually SNAP EBT, and that gets funneled into small farms directly when you buy with your EBT SNAP from a local farmer. Um, So, again, this grant is going to be great for small folks to expand what they're doing, and I encourage consumers to get out there and buy more local food. Okay, and we just just now got an email from Neil Logan from the Forest Agriculture Research Management Center on Kauai. He wanted to share with our listeners that there is a free regenerative agroforestry design tool uh, on the web at www.agroforestryx.com. Uh, we will have links to that uh, on our website after the show. But thank you so much, Melanie. And uh, listeners out there, this is The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. You can join our discussion by calling 1-877-941-3689. Stay with us. We'll be right back after a break. Support for Hawaii Public Radio comes from the Honolulu Museum of Art, welcoming the community to enjoy the art and museum spaces on Palhana Friday evenings until 9 p.m. Admission tickets at honolulumuseum.org. Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hello, I'm Dr. Devin Price, the author of Laziness Does Not Exist. Next time on New Dimensions, I'll be talking about reclaiming our lives from overload, burnout, and the laziness lie. Beginning Sunday morning at 11. Support for HPR comes from Costco Air Conditioning and Refrigeration, celebrating 60 years of serving Hawaii businesses and homeowners with a range of air conditioning and refrigeration products, supplies, and tools. CostcoHawaii.com.
you. We're back with the conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. I'm Catherine Cruz. You know, we are talking about the different ways to help boost agriculture here in the state. For this half hour, our guests are Representative Amy Peruso. She represents Central Oahu and is the vice chair of the House Agriculture Committee. She authored a bill to abolish the uh, Agribusiness Development Corporation. And we have a farmer, Paul Rapun of Waihole, Oahu. He's sticking around to continue our conversation. Uh, good morning, everybody. <laughs> good morning. So, Representative Peruso, um, you know, you, you have uh, authored this bill to abolish the, the ADC. Where, where is that in the process? So, it just passed unamended from the House and is moving over to the Senate um, and should be referred to committees most likely this week. Okay, and for our listeners, you know, there was a recent state audit that blasted the Agribusiness Development Corporation. The audit mm-hmm. included 28 recommendations. The board took up the audit uh, at its February uh, meeting, and one concern was the overlap of authority between ADC and the state agriculture department. You know, we had invited Director Jimmy Nakatani to take part in our show. He asked that we hold off until after uh, a key legislative hearing, uh, but then we were told he would not be available. If you're not familiar with the Agribusiness Development Corporation, it's a state agency attached to the Hawaii Department of Agriculture. This is how Nakatani described his agency's mission to the House Agriculture Committee last month. So the um, ADC mission is to acquire and manage in partnership with farmers and and ranchers, agriculture groups, selected arable um, lands, water systems, and infrastructure for commercial agriculture use and to direct research into the areas that will lead to development of new crops, markets, and lower uh, production costs. And, you know, the significance of this mission statement is to emphasize partnerships and commercial um, agriculture. Um, In summary, you know, I want to, you know, point out that um, under our leadership, and I'm talking about from 2013 to the present, uh, we've developed about 2,000 acres of diversified agricultural lands. Uh, Nakatani then concluded his testimony to the committee this way. Um, ADC priorities um, <clears throat> to address the auditor's recommendation to put more vacant lands on Huawei production. Uh, we are in the cost of um, the remaining 1,200 acres you know, that we purchased in central Oahu. Um, we've done intensive um, work to look at uh, you know, putting those lands in production, and we will be sending out a... Um, notice for the, to the farmers to occupy those lands. Um, just a comment about marketing division. Uh, we have done not done real intensive marketing uh, efforts, you know, because that's a kind of a duplication of the Department of Agriculture. Uh, <clears throat> I want to say in closing, we acknowledge that there's much progress to be made in improving the effectiveness of effectiveness and efficiency of our organization and have already taken some steps recommended by the state auditor. Uh, we strive to incorporate many of the actions as uh, reasonably as we can to ensure that ADC continues to promote and grow agriculture in the, um, for the people of Hawaii. And Representative Peruso, uh, any uh, uh, reaction to those uh, statements that uh, Jimmy Nakatani made? I mean, I, I think that um, <laughs> words are nice, but actually it's really important that we look at actual performance. And I want to preface our entire discussion by saying that leadership in the House 
has been pushing for an audit of the ADC for years. And it has been stymied for years by the Senate. Um, and ADC has been protected. At, so the only way we were even able to get an audit bill passed last session was when it was connected to their funding. So when it was connected to the funding that they would receive from the legislature, and we were able to control that because the House controls the budget, that was the only way that we were able to even initiate the budget, the audit process. So um, I say that because I think it's important, if, if anybody um, has not yet read the audit, um, it's important to remember that it was also um, its release uh, occurred at the same time as an independently conducted uh, report by Uhiro, and which came to very similar conclusions um, about the failure of ADC to fulfill its mission. And I, for me, normally in the political process, um, it's designed to encourage compromise and negotiation, um, but. Ironically, the more I dig into um, the facts underlying the audit and the Uhiro report, um, the more I think that those recommendations don't go far enough. Um, even my bill might not go far enough. Um, we, what the audit didn't look for was fraud. What it didn't look at was the Kekaha Agricultural Association land. What it didn't look at was um, ADC's control and use and distribution of water. Um, so I think it, it raises far more concerns and questions than it actually answers. It's a great start and it's really important, um, but we, we need to have a broader conversation than that that, than that kind of um, authorized by the audit. Well, I do recall news reports uh, about those attempts to try and uh, get those reports and audits from uh, ADC. And I believe Jimmy had said, well, he was too busy to uh, provide the information. Uh, and, uh, you know, he said it was all in his head, I think was one quote that uh, that I yeah. saw. But I, so I, I can understand people are saying, well, you know, that's that's pretty arrogant. And as a director of this corporation, you should be accountable uh, because you're dealing with public lands here and public money. Correct. I think, um, you know, our office has been digging into the records deeper, as I mentioned earlier, and what we found is that there are no records or very scant records of lists of previous tenants, of monies collected from previous tenants. Um, the basic records that any agency would keep, there don't seem to be any rules issued by the board of ADC to guide how they interact with farmers. Every farmer, it seems, comes to the board and they, they um, come to decisions about how to handle the request on a very individualized and ad hoc basis. So um, that, to me, it is, is not the way that we should be um, handling governmental business. I think it raises concerns about favoritism and um, cronyism. Well, I, I know there you know, is concern about that, uh, but you, as you mentioned, for some reason, um, uh, it appears that he's got some powerful friends in the Senate side uh, because you, you want accountability, uh, you know, because this corporation didn't just develop overnight. Correct. 
Well, yeah. at that legislative hearing, uh, Representative Peruso, I know you had asked Nakatani about creating a larger strategic plan with the Ag Department and the community, uh, especially small farmers. Uh, here's what uh, Nakatani had to say. I want to make one thing clear, though. You know, we're not, um, ADC is not against small farmers. We're not restricted to small farmers. Um, I want to point out that any operation, big or small, needs to be economically feasible. And I think that's what we should be focusing on. And small farmers, you know, you get co confusing because are we talking about the footprint or are we talking about the operation of expenses and you know, the profit and the loss statements and everything like that? Um, so, you know, I, I, you know, I hear you. I think that, you know, this discussion should go on. Um, but at the same time, you know, we're under pressure to move agriculture and we're trying our best to, to, to move it. And Paul, you're a small farmer. I don't know. Have you had much interaction with the ADC? No, not really. Um, way back in the beginning, I remember talking um, with one of the representatives of ADC, and they were very interested in talking to us. And he talked about small farms, and I asked him what he thought a small farm was, and he said, oh, about 40 acres. Mm -hmm. And I was like, to me, I just kind of blew my mind because small, 40 acres is not a small farm. I mean, maybe on the mainland, but not here in Hawaii. I think the average is more like 10. But I don't think the Department of Agriculture even has a list of all the small farmers in Hawaii and what they consider small farmers or farmers. And I think that's a really good place to start to figure that out. Um, we, I think the vision of farming the ADC has, or, or the state in general has, Department of Agriculture, is that um, we need to develop something that will take the place of sugar and pineapple, and that's big farms and uh, maybe export farms and farms that um, have a big multiplier effect and that they buy a lot of tractors and employ people and buy fertilizer and all that. And I think that's a very different vision of farming from what we should have. And I think there are lots of people who have a different vision, and they should all be pulled into this discussion. And for myself, I would like to see... Um, some way to promote small farms. And I, I only see that happening on state land because the big landowners are not interested in leasing their land out to small farmers. In the Waiholi water case, um, they were advised by the state to never le let a farmer live on the land because then you might have a hard time getting them off just as it has happened in Waiholi. So when you create a community of small farmers, it's permanent. And that's the way agriculture should be, permanent. But the big landowners don't want to do that. Their highest and best use is ultimately housing. So, you know, I, I see, I, I think the ADC is formulated under the wrong premises. They want to figure out some way to make use of all this sugar land. And the best way to do that fast is to get big farmers in there, big commercial farmers. And that, you know, whether they're export or not, doesn't matter to them. And I don't think that's the vision of farming we should have in Hawaii, or in the world for that matter. You know, what we do have is uh, we've got corn seed. Yeah, corn seed uh, for corn that's grown in large part for ethanol and things like that. You know, I mean, this is not helping Hawaii. And we do have a comment uh, that has come in from Hilo. Uh, Mindy writes uh, that uh, she'd like to see more hemp and hemp seed grown at a large scale as a re possible replacement for sugarcane. Uh, Representative Peruso, I don't know, you wanted to say something? Yeah, I'm sorry. I did want to jump in because I, I love that point about 
revisiting the mission of, of ADC and indeed of um, the work that the state is doing around agriculture in general. Um, I think that the mission statement, if you look at the mission statement of ADC uh, through um, 2021 I, it is outdated and it is anachronistic. It doesn't meet our needs because we recognize in this pandemic that um, food insecurity, um, food instability, our lack of food sovereignty is an issue that affects all of us. And we shouldn't be using public lands to support people whose primary interest is export. So I think that like the large, and, and there are people who make an argument for the importance of um, large farms and, and, and big farmers and industrial ag. And, and while I don't necessarily support that approach at all, um, that's fine. I do think that they don't need our support. Um, we shouldn't be supporting the kinds of agriculture that poison our land, poison our water, and doing it with, uh, you know, public money. And we should be supporting that which we know is good for the common good. And um, I just think that we need to revamp our entire um, approach to agriculture. And that can start with ADC and re-examining and, and redrafting their mission and their purpose. You know, as we mentioned with that comment from uh, from Hilo about, you know, possible replacement crops, you know, hemp, you know, there's, you know, talk about the CBD and, and the, the possibilities there. I mean, that's, the, you know, that crop is still kind of in its uh, infancy. Uh, but obviously people are looking for other diversified crops uh, to, to help boost uh, what we grow here and, uh, you know, what we eat. A uh, reminder to our listeners, you are listening to The Conversation on Hawaii Public Radio. Our guest, Representative Amy Peruso, uh, Vice Chair of the House Agriculture Committee, and uh, Paul Rapun of uh, Waihole, Oahu, uh, a small farmer perspective as we talk about the um, ADC. And, you know, one of the primary criticisms about ADC is that it makes ag land inaccessible to small-scale farmers. Mason Chalk serves on the Kauai County Council. ADC has a huge footprint on Kauai. It oversees half of the ag land in Kekaha and more than a quarter in Kalepa. Council member Chalk says ADC just hasn't worked for the Kauai community. I'm supportive of us moving towards dissolving ADC under the caveat that we redirect those funds that are currently being directed to ADC to an effort to help agriculture. My biggest concern in dissolving ADC would be to not continue to invest in agricultural production that we need. However, I do not believe ADC is the right vehicle to accomplish the goals that we've set forth. My limited experience with ADC has been in receiving interest and calls from farmers and Native Hawaiians who say, look, I, I want to farm, I, I want to create lo'i, you know, I think there's, there's a market for it, and obviously there is and I need help, but I don't know how to do this. And there's so much land out here, why can't I start small and build upon it? And unless they have years of experience under their belt, unless they have the financial backing up front, their voices are, are minimized and their opportunities are minimized. And I think we need to create a, a better pipeline uh, for that. So, so my experience and with the farmers that I've uh, engaged with has been uh, you know, pretty disappointing 
in terms of the process laid out before them and the opportunities for them. Kauai probably has the largest tract available. You know, the ADC manages those lands are important lands, the best farming lands, so to speak. When you don't provide the people with access to their resources, then what you're doing is you're cutting them off from having a relationship with it. And, and that's such an important aspect to every community. Because one, if you don't have access, you can't have that relationship, and then you don't know what its needs are. And so the state has put this kuleana on ADC to maintain and manage, and they haven't been able to do it. And now we're in a place where no one else knows how to because we've lost that connectivity to it. That was Mason Chalk, uh, who is on the Kauai County Council. Representative Peruso, a reaction to what he just said? Um, I, I think that rings true, and I think that's what I also hear in my community, um, that frustration from small farmers who um, really just want access to land and access to water that is, um, it should be free, right? Or close to free, just the transportation costs. Um, and I, I think that they um, deserve our support. So it, it's hard to, to understand why we are supporting corporate ag that does not need our support um, and why we are, are not supporting local sustainable ag so that we can be more resilient. So I think that's really the, the frustration that's driving a lot of the conversation around ADC. And I think the other question around land management, you may or may not know um, a young woman from our community was murdered um, last year on ADC lands. And while ADC has said that they um, we're doing everything in their power. That's not the perception of the community. <clears throat> and that they they um, began to address the question of land management and the illegal chop shops and criminal activity far too late, only after the murder. So um, there's it's surprising, I think, both in Kauai and, and less so in my community, um, there's a lot of emotion around this agency and its impact. And Paul, from where you sit as a small farmer, I mean, you know, you talk to other farmers. Uh, is it the same thought that they just figured, well, I'm too small, they want nothing to do with me? Uh, I think most small farmers um, are not really aware too much of what the ADC does or could do. It's, it's, um, you know, we're very self-resilient and I mean, self-reliant and resilient and things happen, we don't go looking for grants, we don't go looking for help from the government, we just figure out how to survive. Mm -hmm. That's one of the beauties of small farming, is that you have that capacity. You can, um, like on our farm, for example, we're known as tower farmers, but that's our, maybe our most important crop and very interesting one, but we've probably got 60 or 70 other different things growing that could be marketed. Now, diversity mm -hmm. is one of the hallmarks of small farms. And um, I think, you know, whether the ADC exists or not, it's not really important. I think what's important is that we have some forum to figure out what the vision for agriculture should be for the state of Hawaii. You know, and I, I haven't really seen um, uh, enough champions out there, I guess, for agriculture. You know, maybe that's the elephant in the room. Um, I think you know, they're there. I think there are a lot of them. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm not a computer person. I don't hang out on my phone, but... And, and looking some of this stuff up about ADC, I saw a bunch of people talking back and forth about agriculture, and I was 
kind of surprised. You know, I didn't know this all this stuff goes on through social media, but there are there are I think there are a lot of people out there. Any farmer you talk to is going to have an opinion, and um, it's like when you go to a hearing and there's a hundred people opposing a bill, and then one big landowner gets up and is in favor of it, and it passes. You know, so um, that's mm-hmm. that's how visions get developed around here. It's, it's the big guys, the Farm Bureau, the Department of Agriculture, the ADC, who are pro- projecting this vision of agriculture, and all the small guys out there, of which there are many, they don't get heard. I don't know how you fix that. You know, how you can do that with a bill or I agree with that. what? Well, we are just coming up at the top of the hour, so I'm going to have to ask you for final thoughts, although we could probably talk about this for another half hour, but final thoughts about what you want to leave with our listeners and with the power brokers out there? Uh, I can start. I I think for me, um, this moment is about both developing a fuller understanding of ADC, but also developing, um, or at least articulating and shaping an alternative vision for agriculture. As Paul said, I think um, this is the moment that we can do both of those things at the same time. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that work. I think the energy exists both within this building and in the communities, and I think that we just need to come together to um, kind of create the future for agriculture that we want to see. And, Paul, you know, it sounds like you're saying there's there's a lot of grassroots uh, champions. Uh, you want to see that power kind of marshaled, I guess. Yeah, I, I think... Um... I think there's a lot of interest in farming. For example, there's a Go Farm program, which is a really interesting program. Um, my brother and I got to speak, you know, at the beginning of that program several times where they would gather their cohort for the year. And there were like two or 300 people in the room who wanted to hear about farming and were considering, you know, going into the field in some way or another. Of that, they picked, I don't know how many, maybe 30 people to go begin the program. So the indication is that the interest is way larger than we're taking care of. So if that's the case, and the same is true with community gardens, there are way more people who have interest in it than can get a garden. If the interest is so great, let's figure out some way to tap into that and, and utilize that energy. I think that's what we need to, that's what the future needs to look to. Okay. All right. Well, good point. Thank you uh, again, Paul Rapoon uh, of Waihole Valley. Uh, Representative Amy Peruso, our thanks to Melanie Bondero, who joined us earlier in the program, and to Sharon Hurd from the Department of Agriculture. And we thank you, the listener, for joining us on today's show. If you want to leave feedback, uh, please record it on our talkback line, 808-792-8217. Email us at talkback at hawaiipublicradio.org. And if you want to listen back to today's show, check out the Conversation podcast at hawaiipublicradio.org. I'm Catherine Cruz. Join us tomorrow, won't you, for more of the conversation.